Just as bad as before? Oh, no, here we go. Good, good, good. I understand that we have been looking at prayer just briefly. What I should do is, hey, what's all that about? That's the last slide. So you know where we're going. Oh, actually, that's the last slide. So you know where we're going, but we also begin with it. <laughs> Never easy when Hunter's in the house, let me tell you. Surely God didn't intend this abundant life to be drab and boring and tedious. Do you agree with that? Surely. Many of us quite possibly have a sneaking suspicion that there's something deep beyond our daily routine. Many of us have an intense interest in where we've been, where we are now, and when we have, where we'll finally end up. Truth be told, many of us have a deep desire to be intimate with God. In some shape or form, wherever your Christian walk is at the moment, at whatever point it is, something down deep inside, there's a sneaking suspicion that there's a big picture. You ever felt that? Christian men and women throughout the ages have walked the way. And as they've walked the way, they've left for us signs and markers on how to do life. But I guess the greatest one that ever lived, not I guess, I know, the greatest one that ever lived on the earth, Jesus Christ, left the greatest signs and the greatest markers on how to be intimate with God. It was Jesus Christ that came and showed us God. God personified. The Lord's Prayer, I understand you had a brief look at it last week. Well, not a brief look, but you had a look at it last week with Neil. I hope that's right. Good, because we're going to look at it again. And the Lord's Prayer... When you actually have a look at the Lord's Prayer, it's more than just a prayer. It's actually more a statement on how to live. The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Neil, take you through this last week? Good. For those that weren't here, you need to either give us a note or you need to concentrate because we'll pick up some old ground. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from an evil one. For thine is the kingdom or for yours is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Many of you that have been in the system for quite some time, I could turn the slide off and you could repeat it by heart. I just want to have a look at the Lord's Prayer again today. Washington Post, 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, ran this little story. This is part of a story that it ran. It says this, Americans, you can substitute Australians in there because we're very, very close because of our culture. Americans are far more socially isolated than they were two decades ago. And a sharply growing number of people say that they have no one in whom they can confide. A quarter of Americans slash Australians say they have no one with whom they can discuss personal troubles with more than double the number who are similarly isolated in 1985. Western culture as we know it is adrift. Somewhere in the past, we left the moorings of community and we settled for society. Society is all about our ability to organise ourselves as a group of people. That's what society is, organising groups of people. That's what we've settled for. But community is all about connectedness. It's how we relate to each other. Society lives on rules and regulations, systems and structures and policies and procedures. Whereas community relies on connectedness. Community relies on, listen to me now, togetherness. And we think because we can build ourselves a strong society, we'll have strong community. But you know as well as I do, especially those that are advancing in years, that I'm not sure that a stronger society, listen to me, equates with stronger community. Sure, they share common ground, people, but perhaps that's where it ends. Western culture, I think, has failed to build community because we've settled for building a stronger society. And the net result of that is, do you know? We call it today social isolation. We've learned to rely more on systems than on people. Ever heard this? It's more about my rights rather than my what? Responsibility. And Jesus begins 
with two words. The prayer in the original is 72 words long. It's 10 lines. It's a real economy of words. And Jesus begins with two words. Nine letters in the English and nine letters in the Greek. He begins with Avant Bishmaya. Simply, our Father. Avond Bishmaiah, our Father. And with these nine letters, they send a shiver down the spine of anyone who champions the cause of individualism and independence. Because with these two words... Jesus begins to rewrite the whole scope of what it means to share community. This first word, our, avond, is the bridge between me and you. The word our speaks about a shared experience. The word our speaks about a shared ownership. Where me and mine smacks of isolation and loneliness, the word our speaks of community and togetherness. Folks, there's no mistake in the way Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer. Shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. Should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Technically, if you want to get into some sort of argument with me, I tell you, if you want to see the Lord's Prayer, go to John 17, right past the peak. Matthew 6, the disciples don't come to Jesus and say, hey, teach us how to teach. They don't say, hey, look, uh, uh, teach us how to preach. Disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus utters that first word, our. And the early Christian church, the whole personal um, spiritual walk was kind of foreign because there was an interconnectedness with the early church. There was no growth to spiritual maturity in isolation. That's why Acts 2 Church talks about, and they met together how often? Daily. And they shared. You have a look at the characteristics of the early Christian church. It was a community church. It was a church where the Bible says, and they enjoyed each other's company. And those looking in saw that it was kalos, a Greek word which means it looked good and was good. So much so that dozens upon dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people joined the church because it offered something that they couldn't get out there and that was community. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about a body. 
And the head of that body is Jesus Christ himself. And then he goes on and he says, you know, this body, this body that has Jesus Christ at the, at, at the head is made up of many parts. And one part of the body is hurt, then the rest of the body is hurt. One part of the body feels pleasure, the rest of the, because of the interconnectedness, because of the togetherness, because of the community. But our is also a dangerous word. It's dangerous in the fact that you have to put up with each other. You have to accommodate for others. And some of them irritate you, don't they? So our is a dangerous word. It's a risky word. Because it means that we may have to make allowances for others. St. Benedict, known as the father of modern Western monasticism, the monks, they lived by a creed, <clears throat> vows, to the traditional vows, this was the vows that they lived by, to the traditional vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. But St. Benedict, who was born in 460 AD and died in 546 AD, the father of, as I said, modern-day Western monasticism, modern-day, 1,500 years ago, he appreciated that there need to be added a new element to the vows of monasticism. And the new element... Stability, because he appreciated that we needed to put the us into me. The traditional vow, the three traditional vows are all about me. And St. Benedict said, mm -mm, we're going to fix that because we can't survive and grow spiritually. We can't even dream of some sort of spiritual maturity because growth is the goal and maturity is mandatory. And St. Benedict said, we need to add to our existing vows, we need to add the word stability. It was St. Benedict that understood and you would appreciate this, that there can be no such thing as forgiveness unless there's some kind of wrongdoing. There can be no such thing as healing unless, of course, there's been hurt. For St. Benedict and for Refreshed Church, there's no such thing. It cannot happen. Strengthening one's walk unless there's struggle. Forgiveness born from conflict, healing born from hurt, and strength born from struggle. St. Benedict understood that. And St. Benedict, his call was to resolve and reconcile. Put down some roots and learn to give and take. 
put down some roots and learn to give and take. Put down some roots. In 205, 206, about 15% of Australian people moved. Moved away from their neighbourhood, changed jobs, ceased to connect with a person next door or over the road or colleagues in the office or in the church. 15%, that's about 3.5 million people. That's 10 years ago. Couldn't get any later stats. But it gives you a little bit of a snapshot. St. Benedict, 1,500 years ago, said it's about time we put down roots as a community and get, got back to this togetherness, this community that the first word of the Lord's Prayer indicates that we must do. This shared experience of our Father, Avond Bishmeach. No wonder the word our is difficult in Western society to get your head round. Because often we move. And when we move, the only constant in life is me. And I take me everywhere I go. David Timms, in a really neat book called Living the Lord's Prayer, says this. It's a little long, but it's worth a read. Our personality does not determine our community involvement because what we've tended to do in Western society is we have gauged that those with the personality achieve the most. Those with the personality are those most favoured. Those with the personality are those that are the best commodity. Those with the personality are those that usually produce more. That's what we've diminished. That's what we've minimised people as resources. David Tim says this. Whoa, hang on a minute. You want to look at personality and productivity, hang on a minute. Our personality does not determine our community involvement. Before we sigh and hand spiritual formation over to the extroverts, let's clearly understand that any commitment we make to community does not require that we all become bubbly. Doesn't require that we become effervescent and always on call. Is that good news for some? Good news for me. I'm paid to be bubbly, effervescent, and always on call. I can't do it. And David Timms, when I read this, I go, oh, our Father. Nor does it mean we must always agree to every request or plan. We do not, sorry, we do need boundaries that create space for building special relationships, experience and personal rejuvenation and nurturing one's own walk with Christ. However, the first word of the Lord's Prayer, our, reinforces the fundamental communal aspect 
of the kingdom. The prayer calls us to a corporate life, a life shared with others, a life in which God may work through each of us to, have a look at that, bless each of us. In Western culture, personal productivity reigns supreme over personal relationships. Persons diminish as people because we propagate performers. In the business world, you don't so much have personnel anymore. What do you have? Human resources. That's the buzzword. Has been for about 10 years. It's not personnel. It's human resources. In fact, you can do a degree in human resource management. You know what we do every day? As people? Is it something I said? We network, don't we? Don't we? We network. Isn't that a computer term? Is that a computer term? Network? You should know. You're a computer man. Perhaps this age in future, they will look back upon our age and it will be marked by depersonalisation. Perhaps this age... As they look back, it will be seen as the age of commodities rather than companions. Avond Ishmael. Jean Twenge, she's a sociologist. She studied the health records of 68,000 young people. That's a huge sample. Started in 1936, ended the study in 2010. Now, she didn't start it. She wasn't there in 1936, but she studied the records of young people. How many years is that? I don't know, 70? She found something very, very interesting. Our Western culture has had a fixation with commodities rather than personal relationships. We've had a fixation with building a stronger society, building more comfortable lives. We have a fixation with systems. We have a fixation with structures. We have a fixation with policies and procedures. You can't hang that on the wall because you haven't done ladder training. Sorry, Eugene. But can I get on your shoulders? And Jean Twenge, in 2010, made this statement after a very, very long and prolonged study. She came to this summary. You've probably already read it. Today, more young people feel isolated, misunderstood and unstable than in previous decades. 
Young people today are more likely to be narcissistic, worried, sad and dissatisfied with life. Listen to this. Consumerism, she's not a Christian. Consumerism is the major cause for the rise in mental illness, in particular depression. We have become a culture that focuses more on material things than relationships. Isn't it interesting? We live in an age of the fractured family because we go after productivity. One of the buzzwords today is achiever. It's superseded words such as lover and friend. Jesus, when he was here, you notice something very interesting about his disciples. By the way, he was never hurried. Very rarely was he ever hurried. Only ever hurried for good reason. I'm about my father's business. But he was never hurried. And he stopped counting at 12. And if you have a look at his disciples, he never calls them team members. He calls them friends. Doesn't he? And if you notice something else very interesting about his group of followers, he resisted picking professionals. He picked amateurs. The word amateur, I made tour in Latin, means lover. Isn't that cool? Jesus Christ and the word our. For Jesus Christ, our had a real personal ring to it. When the disciples came to Jesus Christ that morning or that afternoon and said, don't worry about teaching us how to teach. Don't worry about teaching us how to preach. Teach us how to pray. Jesus thought for a nanosecond. And the first word that came out of his mouth was a word of community and connectedness and togetherness. Our Father. So many times we feel like praying the words, my Father. Jesus used our Father. Jesus knows that deep down we desperately want connection with others. It's part of our God-given emotional DNA. Jesus Christ knew that we survive best when we're together. He knew that we survive best and we will grow the most spiritually when we're connected and together and in community. That's not to discount the fact that there's times where we need quietness where we can contemplate and get away from the maddening crowd. But Jesus Christ also knew this. Let me teach you how to pray. When you pray, start with the word our. Because our can generate enormous satisfaction in community. You ever noticed a group of teenagers, a church or somewhere like that, and there's eight of them. 
they all cram into the one pew that only should fit five and there's an empty pew in the front and there's an empty pew in the back. Ever notice that? And you've got the last teenager with half a cheek on. Is that okay to say that? Too bad I said it. That's because togetherness matters. It's part of our inbuilt DNA. It's how God emotionally designed us. I had opportunity um, on Monday. I had all my chaplains come into the office and we, we uh, had a bit of a meeting. Some of you that may not know, I'm, I'm providing pastoral support to all our schools. And I had all our chaplains come in. There was uh, just over 20 of us. And uh, for the morning, um, we sat around and told each other how fantastic we are and uh, what we're doing. <laughs> in our respective schools, and in the afternoon, I took a punt. I spent a stink load of money, I took them all go-kart racing down at Kingston Park Raceway. Don't go, it's dangerous. <laughs> but you know what was interesting? In the morning, when we were all together, we shared stories and we laughed and giggled and listened and suggested and then we ate together and some had vegetarian burger. There was one person who had chicken salad. Need to talk to me. I'm only serious. We ate together and then we jumped in our cars and away we went. You've been go-kart racing before. Man, did we have a blast. I'd never done it before. I've set it up over and over and over again for kids at big camp and so on and so forth. But I've never done it myself. And I sat in that thing and I said, right, Anyone that gets in my way, death. <laughs> there was only one black flag that day. Yep, I got it. But you know what? You know what was really interesting? That after we, and there was four races, ten laps per race. And after each race, we'd all get out of our cart, we'd meet back in the little thing while they put all the scores up and, and so on, you could not shut them up. Hey, and I did this and I saw you and I did it. And it was just awesome to sit back and watch community in a bunch of people that are paid to build community. <laughs> Togetherness really matters, doesn't it? We think that togetherness perhaps is because we have two and a half thousand people as friends on Facebook. Or that we have 250 people that we email using Yahoo or Hotmail or whatever. Outlook. Shane Ipps in his book Selling Water by the River, there's a great title for you, worth a read too. It says this about virtual community, because that's where we live. We live with two and a half thousand Facebook friends if we think we're really friendly. If you're like me, I just accept anyone. And annoys Linda, who's that? Don't know. But I got another one, 2,495. 
Eugene's got four more than me. In my inbox, I get 20 emails a day. Really? I get 60. Oh, stink. I must, I must email myself more often. <laughs> In virtual community, sells this, selling water by the river. In virtual community, our contacts involve very little real risk. And demands even less of us personally. We experience, here's his buzz. Intimate anonymity. Intimate anonymity. Virtual community is like fairy floss. Oh, it's easier to swallow, but has little nutrition. Authentic community is more like broccoli. Doesn't always taste the best, but it provides crucial nourishment. Authentic community will undoubtedly be marked by conflict, risk, and rejection. At the same time, it offers the deepest levels of acceptance, intimacy, and support. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. That prayer is a corporate act. He showed us by his life that it's also a solitary act. But in its corporate act, it affirms our commitment to God in the vertical and you in the horizontal. The moment we utter the words, our Father, it puts us in community. It generates a togetherness. The Bible reminds us in 1 John, can't love God if you don't love your brother. Pretty strong words, eh? Don't mind. It's in Scripture. Check out Ephesians 4. You can't be one with him if you aren't one with his body of believers. Strong words, eh? Not mine. There he is. It's in Scripture. In Philippians 2, 1-2, we can't no fellowship with God if we don't enter into believers' community. No, my word is. It's in Scripture. The word our is Jesus' way. No greater way of calling us together as a church. You know what I love about this church? Refresh. We're not a society, we're a community, aren't we? Do you feel that? Oh, we've got to put up with each other. We've got to make accommodations. There's people in the room that irritate me and I irritate you sometimes. But that's community. Learning to get along with each other. No forgiveness without conflict. No healing without hurt. No strength without struggle. That's community. Building stability in our church, being together. It's a good thing for us to come and worship together. It's biblical. Each, each time we use the word our, we declare our commitment to each other. It reminds us one day, folks, that we will all stand before the throne of God no status, 
all level playing field. No one better than anybody else. No labels, no exceptions. Because he's our father. Our father. Jesus constantly had to deal with this sort of thing, even with his own disciples. Within minutes they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened. Kings like to throw their weight around. And people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. The Lord's Prayer is not so much a statement on how to pray. It's a statement on how to live together in community here at Refresh as we enjoy and tolerate each other's company. Probably one of the greatest words that you will hear uttered from the mouth of Jesus Christ that is pointed straight at the person sitting in your shorts is the little word, our. Our Father. Welcome to the family, sons and daughters of God. It's our dad. They must have almost dropped off their perch when they heard him utter those first two words. Our daddy. That's it. That's the translation. To a people that were hesitant to even utter the very name of God, Yahweh. It was so sacred, we can't utter his name. If we write it, it's got to be in gold. And if we write it, before we write it in gold, we've got to take a bath. And before we write it, and after we've taken a bath, we need to take a brand new stylus and write it in gold. And then never use that stylus again, break it and throw it in the bin. The very name of God is so sacred we can't even utter it. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'll teach you how to pray. Our Father, they must have dropped dead. Translation, our daddy. What a cool concept, Refresh Church, that we share something together. Oh, yes, we irritate each other. We're going to make accommodations. We're going to learn to get on. But let's never forget this as we begin to further build our community, that we have this shared thing, our Father. I finish with prayer. If you'd like to bow your heads, I'll pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.